time. The Lord is good. Alright, we are going to quickly take the declaration of the glory of God and then we will take our declaration of understanding and then we will take our seats. The Lord is good. Alright, let's today open to the book of Psalms. We'll use Psalm number 146. We'll read 10 verses there. Psalm 146. Psalm number 146. If you are there, say amen. Amen. Let me remind us what we are doing is declaring the glory of the Lord. That's what we are doing. We are declaring the glory of the Lord. And it's an instruction we must obey. It says magnify the Lord. We must constantly magnify him. We must tell of his glory. Now we are going to read Psalm 146 loud. When I say loud, I mean loud. Don't whisper it to yourself. Make sure at least three people away from you can hear your voice. All right? All right, let's test it by just saying the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. All right, so we're going to read it together. One, two, let's go. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes. Immortal man who whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. He towards the prayer of the wicked. The Lord reign forever. Your God owes Zion to all generations. And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I am increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And that's exactly what you will experience today. Amen. In Jesus' name. The Lord is going to speak a word to every individual here, Amen. a word of liberation, Amen. a word of healing, Amen. a word of direction. Amen. Receive your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our seats. There's something I've been trying to do for some time. Maybe I will end up finally changing the name of the series, but the last two times I've tried to do this, it didn't work. So let's see whether it will work today. If you're a preacher, just try and flow with the Spirit and stop sticking with your own plans all the time. If you, you may have plans, but you will know when the Holy Spirit is um, moving in a slightly different direction. So let's try again. Let's see whether it will work. This time around, I'll read the Second Corinthians chapter 5. The last two times I've read from Romans chapter 10, maybe that's what the problem is. Romans chapter 12, I mean. <laughs> now we're going to read from Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read quite a number of verses. I'm not even sure where to start from now. Okay, let's start from verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our body, is turned down, we have a building from God, 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, that is his body, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked, that is, when we have that new body, it's not like we are going to be naked. We're not trying to be naked spirits, like a New Living Translation will say, without bodies. He said just that we are going to put on heavenly clothing. Verse 4 says, For indeed, while we are in this tent, this body we are using, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. That we are not trying to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared for us this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We know this because we walk by faith, not by sight. He said, knowing this, we are of good courage, I say. And we prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That is our main desire, is to leave this body and live with Christ. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let me stop reading here for now. Now, you know, we've been talking about um, the worship of the true God. Remember that. And what I want to emphasize, I've been saying for the last two meetings, this is the third one, that I want to explain a particular part of it, which is, a repeat of something we have taught again and again. That is, you can't say you are worshipping God except you are living for him. Let me say this again. Christ Jesus cannot be part-time worshipped. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, cannot be worshipped on a part-time basis. Again and again I say this, that he's not like other gods. You don't pay him off with a part of your life. You can't give him Sunday and take the rest of the seven days of the week. Six days for yourself. You can't give him 10% and then take 90% of your money for yourself. It's not allowed. As a rule, he's either his Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either his Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. That is the law of Christianity. Jesus cannot, you know, one major reason why the word of God does not work for us is that we try to compartmentalize obedience. We want to obey him in finances, but not obey him in marriage. We want to obey him sometimes in marriage. We want the fruit of obedience in marriage, but we don't want to strive to obey him when it comes to our businesses, our life, our careers. We want to obey him as, as it comes to our health, but we don't want to obey him when it comes to eating with thanksgiving. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You want to declare by the stripes of Jesus I am healed. But you want to mumble and grumble about everything laid before you. You want to eat having asked all sorts of questions. <laughs> when the Bible says you eat without asking questions, you should give thanks. We don't want to do that. Okay? Yet we want to go on the one side and start claiming healing from him. And that's one major reason why faith does not work. Because we compartmentalize it. The word of God has different aspects. But for it to bless you, you have to obey every word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. 
It's every word. You can't just choose the one you want. The one you, once you choose one and reject another, you remove the power in the one you have chosen. You reduce the power in the one you have chosen. That's the problem that we often have as believers. So, if you want to follow Christ, it has to be followed totally. You follow him on Sunday, equally on Monday, equally on Tuesday, equally on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, back to Sunday again. You follow him 8 a.m. in the morning. You follow him all the way to 12 noon, to 8 p.m. in the evening, to 12 midnight. Every inch of the day, you are following the Lord Jesus Christ. He is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. That's the way it is with Christ Jesus. You cannot, now I'm sitting on my message and it looks like the Holy Spirit has given us liberty to sit on it. You cannot pray his blessing upon your own plan. You must bear it in mind that what you need is his plan in your life. You don't make your plan and now sow a seed so that he might bless your plan. You lay your plan before him and say, Lord, does it please you? Was this inspired of your spirit or it was inspired by other things? Because there are many things inspiring us in life. Many people are inspired, all right, by a feeling of, you know, failure from childhood. Somebody has said that you will never do well. So every day something inside you is trying to prove that person wrong. <laughs> so you're always trying to do something. Simply because somebody told you, you know, you will not do well in this life. So something inside you is trying to prove that individual wrong. That's inspiration. Association can inspire you. All your friends are doing something. You hang around with them every day. You want to do exactly what they are doing. That may also inspire you. Fear can inspire you. Somebody has told you how things can really go wrong in life. And so you are making plans for the future. And you feel inspired. The feeling of inspiration does not mean you are inspired. It's a feeling. In fact, those who are disobeying God are also inspired. I hope you know that. When Judas was going to betray Jesus, Satan entered him, empowered him, felt inspired. When those prophets were lying to Ahab, what happened? They were inspired. A, a, a lying spirit had entered into them. They knew they were under inspiration. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. It's so important we understand it. Alright? So, you lay plans before the Lord, no matter how inspired you feel. Even if it was the one that appeared like he spoke to you about it, when you have the plans, you still give it to him, Lord. Bless this if it's yours. Cancel if it's not your own. It's so important. What people think unbelief is sometimes, okay, is actually faith, real faith. For you to tell God, if it's not your plan, please cancel it. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. All right? So, Christ Jesus, we must obey all the time. That is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. We have to obey him all the time. He is not a blessing machine. You hang him there. You press the buttons when you need something. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He has a plan for our lives. Walking in, seeking to walk in that plan is worshipping him. Because the principle of Christianity is that you have been bought with a price. You now belong to somebody. I will say that again. In Christianity, you have been bought with a price. You are literally owned. You are literally owned. You are literally owned. We have to preach this gospel accurately again. You are literally owned by somebody. You cannot do anything that is not pleasing to him, which is why I read this portion. Paul said, whether we are in this body or out of this body, we have one aim, is to be pleasing to him, verse 9. Therefore, 
we also have as our ambition, whether at home, that is in this body, or absent, that is with the resurrection body now, our aim is to be pleasing to him. And it's not just a matter of affection. Have you heard people say this before? You must have heard it. That in Christianity, we obey God because we love him. We're not afraid of him. Do you, have you heard that before? I hope you know it's only half true. It's only half true. Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Has nothing to do with love. I hope you know say. You know one day you are going to be judged. One day you are going to be examined. You must give account, he said, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. According to what he has done, let's see whether it is good or it is bad. So the idea that I do what is right just because I love the Lord is not all there is to it. God doesn't understand affection primarily. Obedience, for whatever reason, is the primary reason. I hope you're getting my point. Fear of God, you must have it. There is, there's nothing like, people say there's nothing like the fear of God. You don't fear God. Under the Old Testament, they feared God. I don't know. Sorry. Do you know sometimes I hear preachers and I realize they don't read the Bible? I've seen some people just that they don't read the scriptures. They are just repeating the vogue. They don't read the scriptures. They have never reasoned things out. A lot of people repeat some things and they've never even thought it through. The one we were joking about the other day, they said that the stomach is the quickest to the heart of man. Have you heard that thing before? A man as in males, men. That the closest, the quickest way to the heart of a man is what? Through his stomach and his belly. You've heard that thing before? Anybody saying it here? Is it either a boy? No, no, no grown man says that. So boys and girls use it to deceive themselves. Yes, women also repeat it, thinking that uh, it is not true. I don't want to sit on it, because once you get there now, people won't let you go away. This marriage, and you know. <laughs> but you know, I, I kept on hearing, it became, you know, it was when I grew, became a, mar- a man, married man, and I said, hey, stomach? That man was very hungry. The stomach is most, you know, in the same way, many times people quote certain scriptures. They don't even know whether it's true or not. They say some things like, in the Old Testament, people obeyed God because they feared him. In the New Testament, they obey God because they love him. Do you know the truth? There's nothing like that in the Bible. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Under the Old Covenant, they loved God and they feared him. Under the New Covenant, we are supposed to fear God and love him at the same time. In Christianity, in life, actually, you can't separate love and fear. You can't. If you try to separate it, you, you produce something that, that doesn't make sense. In life, you must have fears. You must, like when I say fear, I mean something that makes your heart tremble. I don't mean awe. You know, there's awe, reverence. That is, you know, weakening the power of the word fear. You must, fear, you must, be, afraid, you must be afraid to offend him. If you do something wrong, you should wonder whether he won't punish you for it. That thing must be on your mind. Until you have serious conviction... You understand my point? Of forgiveness. No, I've reasoned about it so much. We weaken the idea. See, fear and love, they go together in Christianity. God must be to you. Let me use the words I hear David Paulson used a few days ago. I'm looking for the big English. Okay, I can't remember the big English. So at the same time, God must be so big and so distant from you as he's close 
you know, as is close to you, that you should have enough respect to have a great gap between you and him and worship him, you know, in fear and reverence. At the same time, you should be able to come close to him and know that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Are you getting my point? You must know how to balance the two. And being a father, I have seen that in the life of children is where I've seen that perfect balance. If you train them well, they will fear you at the same time as loving you. I've learned that then. And I've learned with God you have to treat him like that also. I found out that children that, let's use fathers as an example, that they only have this love for their father, for love. Eventually they will despise that man. They must have fear at the same time. It's just the way human beings are made to be raised and trained. And when people want order in life, <laughs> they put fear there. You go into, into the military. They don't joke with you. Oh, they don't joke with you. They will insist every time you see a superior officer, you salute. You pass in front of your superior officer ten times a day, ten times a day, you will stiffen. In true Christianity, we must balance the love and the fear of God. It must be balanced. People just repeat things that are not in scripture. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Where is it from? Is it Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. That was the first place it was spoken about. Cleanse yourself of all defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Where is that? That's New Testament. Second Corinthians. It's everywhere. Jesus said, fear him that can kill the body afterwards cast the soul into hellfire. That's New Testament, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is absolutely not true that they used to love God in the New Testament and fear him in the Old. They loved him in the Old. David loved the Lord. Samuel loved the Lord. Abraham loved the Lord. At the same time, they feared God. And we must do that also in the New Testament if we want to have the fullness of a blessing. So, back to where we began that from. So he said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is, as you live in this life, one day you are going to be judged for it. You are going to stand and give account. What did you say it here? That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, whether he has done, according to what he has done, whether it is good or bad. Now, for that reason, it is our ambition to always be pleasing to him. I hope you are getting my point. We have this ambition of being pleasing to him all the time. Let's get back to the basics again. You know, I was saying, you have been bought with a price. We're not discussing the price now. We're discussing the fact that you were bought. You are owned. That's where I'm going. Somebody owns you, and you have to please the person. You have to do what he says. That's number one. Number two, that person had the plan from the beginning. Please, I hope you are following me. The person had the plan for, from the beginning. And you have the assignment to seek to follow that plan. Another point I should make, that plan, even though it's a plan for good and not for evil, to give you a future, let's use King James, and an expected end, is at the end you can actually assess the goodness of it. I was, I was going to say I'm badness. There's no badness in it. It's totally good. But it's only at the end that plan does not feel good all the time. When Paul was called, you know, because you see, one of the reasons why we misjudge, he said, you err, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. That's one of our problems. We just assume that things are in a particular way. 
that what the world calls good, what feels good to us is what is good. So we preach a gospel of come and Jesus will make you feel good. Let's stop lying to people. The gospel is for people to understand that they will perish except they are saved. That's the gospel. The gospel is that one day this life will end. And if you have not been saved by God before then, he will have no choice but to cast you into the lake of fire. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? 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 So that they will not perish. They were perishing. So they are being saved from perishing. I want us to understand it. Don't be, shy, don't be shy. Don't be ashamed to let people know that the God of heaven and earth will cast people into eternal fire if they don't repent. People come to church because it's convenient. It's because of the way we preach Jesus Christ. Come and meet him. He will do you, he will do you a favor and you are doing him a great favor. Don't break his heart by walking in sin. Break whose heart? If you don't give your life to Christ, the soul that sins, it shall die eternally. In fact, right now, you're under the dominion of darkness. The domain of darkness, that's where you're living. You need to be delivered from there into the kingdom of the Son. That's true gospel. There's nothing like God does it. He does. He punishes people. And he will punish people for their sins. That's the gospel. Please, I hope you are getting what I'm going to say here. It's very important. Okay? So, what am I saying now? That this God, once you, once you have given your life to Christ, he bought you, he owns you, he has a plan. That plan does not always feel good. Okay, that's what I was trying to explain. So when Paul was called, from the beginning, Jesus told him what he will suffer for his sake. God does not owe you riches in this life. He doesn't ever emphasize it. No, never. It was important that daddy, somebody said that. Is it wrong to want to be rich? I said, yes, it's a sin. I said it clearly. Did I say it's wrong to be rich? What did I say is wrong? The want, the desire is iniquity. We won't talk about that now for that details. Remove your eyes from it, remove your heart from it. God is not competing on whose God can make any. He knows, you know, he's not in doubt as to his power. Please, we need to understand this. I'm going to emphasize the fact that sometimes we teach ourselves and we teach others and we confuse each other. When we give this impression that if God calls you, life will be easy. It is not always easy. The plan of God does not guarantee ease. The plan of God does not guarantee that everything will be easy. From the beginning, God said clearly to Paul, that you are going to suffer for my name's sake. And it was not people saying, you see, that that thing he did to Stephen. Jesus had not forgotten. That's not the truth. Peter also suffered. Peter did not kill Stephen. So don't think the sufferings of Paul was retribution for the persecution of the church. It wasn't. At all. It wasn't. That was just the life God chose for Paul. That was the condition, the circumstances on the earth into which he was introduced in which he must serve the purpose of God, and it entailed him suffering for Christ. I know Jesus did not try to mince words about it. He told him that clear from the beginning. You will suffer many things. You know why I'm saying so? Because sometimes people think, 
Now, this is just an illustration I want to use. Because sometimes we say that you live in Nigeria, like somebody was saying earlier today. No, I'm not living. So it, that guarantees that if I stay back in Nigeria, God will give me a house, give me a car, and give me every good thing. No! If you are looking for a car, house, every good thing, go! Sometimes I want to argue people say, those you are looking for, you can also have them here. No! I have lived in Nigeria since I was a little boy. My mate started living in Nigeria 30 years ago. We still don't have constant power. As of 1992, a sizable number of my classmates had left the country. That's by 1992. So, Banky, why did you not ever want to leave? It's the same reason why you are sitting out here listening to me today. Since then, I knew without a shadow of doubt I had a call to ministry. And something in me just told me that it's going to be in this country in which I live. I don't have anything against anybody who's going anywhere. So sometimes we're arguing with him, like, look, is this prosperity? There's prosperity here too. Forget that thing. I'm not saying there's no prosperity here. I hope you're getting my point. But that's not the issue. Let's leave those things to secondary, you know, discussions. The primary discussion is that God has a specific plan for where you are supposed to be at a specific time. That's all. There's no guarantee it's going to feel good. Because it's something we have to debunk from our minds when we are serving the Lord. It's as if we want to justify and Someone some of us saying that, look, all my friends, you know, they, they have cars, I also have cars. So, I mean, like, what are you trying to say? You, okay, they have cars, you have cars. Those who worship the devil, you think they don't have cars? Now, so the point I'm making is this, alright? Sometimes we want to prove that God called us, we are doing the will of God by prosperity around. Please, let me just beg you from today. Stop that nonsense. It's irrelevant. In the New Testament, I think the person we all respect and love the most should be, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, should be Paul. Let's say it clearly. Paul did not own a house. God did not even give him a wife. You know his children we know? Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, Onesimus, Philemon. All those funny, funny Greek names. <laughs> Even Demas was a son to him at the time. I want the night Demas Jaguar like they say. <laughs> Demas said, I don't do it again. This your ministry is not collecting tithes and offerings. One day somebody said something, I laughed. I said, pastors are funny people. He said, Paul did not teach about tithes because Peter collected all the tithes. Yes. Not a small man. I was watching him on TV. Because of course, one of these tight matters, he said, look, he said, why Paul didn't teach it? Is that all the tights went to Peter. So I'm going to say, bros, you will get sense. So show me where Peter taught it. Who was collecting all the tights? Is, is, is it not common sense? Paul did not teach it because the money is going to who? So what does common sense therefore mean that Peter should have been teaching it because he's the one collecting all the money? Because sometimes we do things that we cannot explain from Scripture. We have to find a way to twist the Scriptures. Paul preached plenty. When he wanted to talk about the sign of apostleship. When he wanted to prove that he was an apostle. He said, are there apostles? I'm also an apostle. Then he wanted to show that he's an apostle. How did they show it? Through sufferings. Let's read it because, you know, <laughs> because sometimes, you know, unconsciously something's cropping into our minds. 
we have been listening to gospels that teach us as if just keep suffering now. God will soon bring something good for you, big for you. I hope I get my point. Yeah, we do that. It was time to show that dear apostles. How many times was he shipwrecked? He told us. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. For time's sake, let's just play get down to the area. From verse twenty-three. Okay, let's just go back up. From verse sixteen, I will jump a few verses again. So as to save time, I do that once in a while. So again, I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as foolish. So that I also may boast a little. I wanted to boast a bit. He said it's foolish to boast. But please, since those who boast carry you away easily. Let me boast a little too. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness. This is not how God wants us to talk. But this is what I'm doing of boasting. It's not right. Verse 18. So many boast according to the flesh, so I will boast also. For you, being so wise, you tolerate the foolish gladly. It tolerates the people that do all those things to them. Time's sake, I'll go down to verse um, 22. Now let's start boasting. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Israelites? Me too. Descendants of Abraham? Mm -hmm. Same here. Are they servants of Christ? Now let's keep talking here. I speak as if I am insane. I more so. How do I know? In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beating times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Please follow this. Five times I was beaten by the Jews 39 lashes. Three times with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, robbers, my countrymen, Gentiles, dangers in the city, in the wilderness, on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship. Through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now, they say those are external things. But apart from those external things, what about the internal things? There is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. In verse 30, it says, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Now, what I want to bring out is this. Let's stop reading here. He continues to tell us the problem, so. So he wanted to show to us that he was a servant of Christ. How did they show it? The sufferings for Christ. To show that he is a servant of Christ, he showed the sufferings for Christ. And he was even unhappy doing it. Then let me show you people that me, I'm a preacher too. Let me show you that I'm working for Jesus Christ. How did they show it? The sufferings he was suffering for Christ. And from the beginning, Jesus told him to be like that. So God can call you to be a housewife, raise children, and you will never be known. That's the way he likes it. Can make you a primary school teacher all your life. You will not leave that village. You will grow to be 85 there. 
And you'll see, be, the only thing he'll do for you is that you'll see be teaching at 84. Your strength will not abate. Don't think teaching in the village is a step to promotion to become community university done. Nonsense. Where did you see Paul get, get, get promoted? The only promotion was from one level of suffering to another. And finally, he ended in prison and wanted to remove his head. And Jesus looked with belief and said, Well done, good and faithful servant. There are young ministers who are ministering and thinking that one day they will be like Bishop Oedipo, they will fly around in private jets. As if you think that is a mark of promotion. Listen to me, heaven exists. There's a life after now. Jesus is coming back again and he's not going to give you a reward until the last day. So leave that in. Anything you see on this day, look at it with suspicion. If you come and give me a private jet now, now I don't have a private jet now. The one I have, actually, I have, but it's just that it's not around. You know, like, uh, I think um, Gabriel and Michael, they parked it, uh, they parked it in Jupiter. So I don't need it on this earth yet. So on this earth, I don't have. I hope I get my point. Let's just assume one day they now bring it. They say, okay, take, this is your private jet. You know what it means? It's not a sign of Pastor Bank, you're not a big man. It means you will hardly see me around again. It, it, all it means is that I have to travel more. What it means is that all the seminars we are doing in, uh, uh, we are doing seminars in Abakliki, we are doing seminars in uh, Oka, we are doing in Portacot. Where do we go? We don't even go to many places. Lazy people. Uh, Makodi, uh huh. uh huh. Enugu. Okay, Kaduna, okay, okay. We, we travel small, sure. Understand? Now, let's assume that's all we are doing, okay? This one's what we're doing in Nigeria. We mentioned a few places. Okay, I hear. <laughs> now, you know, once that jet comes, what now means that Nairobi? Wow. Yeah, that's what they mean. South Sudan, Johannesburg, you know, although, that is, you start, that is, crisscross this country up and, the continent up and down. And if you think it's a sign of prosperity, obviously you are not a preacher. Ask my wife, the bed I love most in this life is that one in Enugu. I have been around the Bito. I travel I'm almost all the time. Nine times out of ten, you hear that I travel, I'm staying in a hotel. And these days, most hotels people put me in, they are very nice hotels. In most cities I go to, they choose very, very good hotels for me. One day, one brother, I went to preach for him in Worry. So he went around town looking for a hotel to put me in. So he went to a hotel where they had new mattresses. He chose the hotel just because of the new mattress. For nights, may I lie down now? I said, who put Paco for here? <laughs> Not those firm, hard... Ma- I told him, I said, ah, oh boy, oh boy. I don't sleep on things like this. <laughs> he said, sir, I chose it because the hotel have new, they have new mattresses. I said, what? So to sleep, you know, good enough, the bed was very big, so they had a lot of pillows. So I had to arrange pillows on top of the bed <laughs> before I could sleep. I told him, I said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Please, next time, look for a hotel that has a spring mattress. I don't, all these hard, hard things. You know, you the orthopedic bed. I don't have back problems. Please, I don't need this. <laughs> now, that's as an aside. So I've slept, you know, but do you know what? I love going home. I love coming home. I love returning home. I love my house. I don't know. Just sometimes you just enter the place. The peace of God that passes all understanding... It stays with me in that house. Every time I travel, it, it's, I don't have a choice. That's all. If I had the choice, I wouldn't go. 
And I said, you know, I told the story before. The first time I went to the, to the U.S., that was some years ago now. Victory was not even born that time. I stayed for about five weeks or six weeks, a little over five weeks. And after two weeks, I put on a sheet of paper the day I'm going home. I literally used to tick it. I was like, ah, I am going home. You know, <laughs> the last time I, when was that? Was it last year? That local convention that I went to preach for them. Okay, I think the year before the last. Anyway, it's not too long ago. Either last year. No, not, it's not last year. Last year I preached for them, but from, from Enugu. I, yes, I, I did that one. It was done by Zoom. But I think it was the year before the last. Okay, the year immediately before COVID. I think it was 2019. Yes, yes. Yeah. That one, eh? <laughs> my brethren paid for the ticket. In fact, what happened was that I knew they were going to pay for the ticket. So my friend came from the U.S. that time. His, his, his mom died, so he came for burial. So I went to the village. When I sat down one evening like that, so my brother, this is your invitation. He should say, I'm going to come. So, eh? He said, Banky, don't even go near that. He said, your ticket money is already with me. No, I don't mean they will give me that. They have given me the money for your ticket. So don't even go near. Hey! I had to rush. I couldn't get a place to get my visa renewed, my U.S. visa. So I had to you know, use all kinds of connections finally. They got me a date. Just managed to get in there because the interview was two, three minutes because it's just a renewal. Now all that, time to travel. Do you know how long I was gone for? From, I left Enugu maybe on Thursday. Next Thursday, I was back in town. From traveling, going, everything was exact. It didn't finish eight complete days. Say what? I said, I'm going to my house. Remember when I was leaving from my friend's house, the one that was saying, you must come. His wife was looking at me like, he... Why did I send my luggage home last week? Oh, because I left with almost just apart from my hand luggage, I had next to nothing. My checking luggage was so light. I just went few finish the program with them. The first flight out of the place. I'm going home. I don't know why people don't. I don't know why people like leaving their homes. I I, I like I like going back home. <laughs> One day, the people have come and say, Ah, pastor, you will come to this place. Come to where? You know, the way we go to Portaco, go and say, ah, you are going to come to find me the name of a place. Uh, maybe Calabar or find another place. So this man behind will not be thinking we are talking about him. Maybe Yen will go out worry. And you are looking at people say, I will come to worry. Don't worry, we'll prepare everything. So you are looking at the person like, you don't understand. You think I do me a favor? If I come, it will be because you fasted and prayed for six months, interceded. That's where I don't like. I'm just telling you the truth. Maybe I'm using code to talk to some people who want to invite me to strange places. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what am I saying of this thing? So sometimes some of the things you call enjoyment in life, they are not. Ravi Zacharias traveled business class most of the time, slept in hotels most of the time. Two thirds of his life he was on a plane. You know, if you have never been on a plane, like, ah, this man is enjoying. The man has flown Dana, he has flown Arik, he has flown Epis, he has flown, flown Royal Air Maruk, <laughs> he has flown Emirates, that's that county for me, he has flown uh, American Airlines, Delta, BA, Virgin, he has just counted, ah, I've said, my God, man, this guy has, they enjoy you. But you don't know that the man was just wishing somebody would send him back to his house. Looking at those of us who sleep in Enugu at least five to six nights every week, minimum, as man, you guys are enjoying. 
But you are looking at him thinking he's enjoying. He's not enjoying. Let me tell you those who are enjoying, those who are in their homes. So you can, be, can therefore understand that I'm not, it's not a prayer point. God, give me a private jet. What's the name? Is it a lamb that said that thing? Said that, hey, na pre, na, na, when he and Fino sang, he said that, uh, na pounds and dollar, me and my, my guy, they take shower. Said, na, na private jet, it remain for me, Baba, you know. There are songs I will not sing to God yet. No, I won't sing it to the Lord yet. When the time comes, it's necessary. I'm not saying, believe me, I believe it's good. In all these little, little travels I've done, anybody who's saying, don't have a private jet, obviously the person's not going anywhere. They have wasted your time at airports before. You will wish you had one. I know for God, it's not a big deal. I hope you get my point. I hope you know for him, it's not a big deal. I was teaching, was it in Sokoto last time I was in Sokoto? Yes, we're discussing these things. I said, if God understands that, listen, for you, it's so important to you that your words don't ever fail. You can add 20 million naira extra a month to your budget to have you being flown around in a private plane just so that you'll never miss a meeting and you'll never disappoint anybody. For some people, ah, 20 million naira, what are you doing with all of that? God said, is it your money? Whose money is it? My money. And I want to use it so that my servant's word will never fail. So if he says to them in Makodi, I will preach for you in Makodi by Friday, he will be there. And if he says at the same time, well, those of you are in Lagos, I will be with you on Saturday afternoon, by Saturday afternoon, he will be there. And as he's finished with those in Lagos, he said, guys, sorry, you know Enugu, I don't, I've not been in Enugu for the last two weeks. I want to make sure I make the five Friday evening, Saturday evening meeting. I want him to be there. He said, no, that's not a problem. I do like this. I call the bird of prey from the east and the man on my purpose from a distant country. They will arrange, get him a small Learjet or Gulfstream G- G450. $10 million. Not a lot of money. You know, not a lot of money to people like, people like God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's me that I have them. Yeah, no, no. So, you see, for God, it's not a big deal, really. It does, to him, it's not a lot of money. If there's a purpose for it, you will bring it. But if you don't understand, you think they are rich. Now, I've encountered people many times who come, they come and ask you for money. And the reason they are coming offends me. It offends me. Why does it offend me? Because they think the reason why you are going around doing what you are doing is because you have too much money. Because they heard you on radio. They know radio is expensive. And you've been on radio regularly. It's, you know, like a place like Portaco to broadcast there 30 minutes, two times every week. We've gone on for years now. They just assume it's because you have money. Like one of the visits we had to Portaco the other day, one young woman just annoyed me. Imagine, Pastor Corey came all the way from Sokoto. You are giving him paper to support missions. Did you hear what I said? Yes. No, you didn't hear me. You'll have be angry. Pastor Corey came from Sokoto to come and preach in Port Harcourt. And somebody walked up to him giving him paper. Whether I can become a partner to be support, sending them money because they are doing missions. Did you hear what I said? Yes. No, I will say it again until you get angry. <laughs> you know, I looked at the young woman like, excuse me. So, I'm sorry to say this. I said, where you come from? They don't have common sense. Didn't you hear when the man was introduced? And it's when you are giving an envelope to show the work you are doing so you can become your partner. Are you all right? Can't you take his own ministry account number? Take his personal account number? Say, sir, every month I'm going to send you something. But no, you are poor. He's rich. Because he came all the way to Port Harcourt to come and preach. 
Meanwhile, it's the same Potter Court where you met him. You know, that's the thing offends me. People just come, they just assume that you are doing what you are doing because you have too much money. No, it's totally out of order. I don't emphasize something. If you see a ministry doing something, it's because it's not, I don't, of course, there are different kinds of ministries. But people don't realize that sometimes to do that thing, people sacrifice. I hope you're getting my point. They do. That's why it offends me. It's not because of anything. You know? People just think that you are doing that thing because you, you have so much money, you don't know what to do with money. I've told these stories to you many times, of course. It's my, one of my classic stories. The first week we went on radio. The first few months after I went on radio. Of course, the very first week we went on radio. The first week we went on radio. As we hit radio like this, bam! And believe me, I know it may sound a bit arrogant, eh? but we arrived with a bang. It was not planned, though. The first broadcast, oh my God. One man left, he ran, the, he ran in the rain from Unsuka to come and look for me in Enugu. He had reached Enugu before he realized I don't even know where, where I'm from or where I have to find me. So he went to the radio station. And the radio station looked at him like, excuse me, you are looking for who? The preacher you heard on radio yesterday. What, what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to know where he is? Let's make a long story short. He spent the whole day looking for me. Finally, he met somebody. Somebody knew the church I attended. He went to the church. He said, he's just attend. He's not the pastor of this church. So finally, they managed to contact me. I finally met the young man in the evening after he had been on his feet the whole day looking for me. The first day we went on air. Not the second day. First day. We had a lot of experience like that. But what I want to talk about is the funny people were discussing how their widows, how their fathers died, how they have not paid school fees. Then you went to our, and then people used to do here a lot of um, post office mail, paper mail. You collect your mail as you are opening one mail after the other. Please, my name is uh, Mrs. Ajale Koko. I have five children. My husband ran away since last year. I don't know what I'm going to do now. Just tell the people, screen the dustbin next. Looking at people like, are you together? It was that time that, one, that young man came on a Sunday morning. What can I do for you? He said he has financial problems. Who does it? <laughs> Even Dangote had financial problems. You're not aware. You think it's odd, like you said, now ordinary INMPC begin by a portion of Dangote refinery? Government had to invest in the refinery business so that the thing can move because it's a matter of national security now. You think he doesn't have financial problems? The story that Reverend Yinka tells us once in the way of Dangote, after they were, they were building the cement factory, they just came and said, good morning, sir. We made a mistake in the calculation. What happened? He said, there's something we were supposed to build. We didn't know it would be necessary. The ground is shifting small. He said, okay, how much extra? Is it 100 or 200 million dollars? The man looked like, are you guys all right? Says, sir, we are very sorry. You know, by that time, you know, you can say I'm not doing it again. How can I say I'm not doing it again? Where you put maybe like $300 million, <laughs> you will find the balance. Who doesn't have financial problems? So the man looked at the young man, he finished, I looked at him, I said, excuse me. Where did you hear me say that those with financial problems should come to Enugu? That was the question I asked him. Where did you hear me say those with, they need accommodation, they need business contacts, should come to Enugu? He was looking at me. I carried my Bible. I went back into church. I left him there. I know some of you think I'm very wicked. Don't worry. My wife knows before you, you, you discovered. So it's not a new thing. Ask, ask all these children. He said, Daddy, if you think so, no school fees for you. <laughs> <laughs> One day, 
My wife traveled. She went abroad. She was gone for a few weeks. So I was now starting with handling the children. So when I went to pick them from school, we were now going home. So we passed by Crunches. Now, for those who don't know Crunches, it's a fast food joint in Enugu. The children just look and say, hey, Crunches. <laughs> I was just driving my drive, they go. They repeated it again. Ah, you know, like crunches. Because they used to have this popcorn, ice cream, stuff like that. No, just drive my own. They go. <laughs> like, if I, it was what Akilu said that made me laugh. He said, How many times have I told you people that is not the time to take anybody to crunches? <laughs> I said, No, you should manage. Your mother will soon be back. <laughs> no, no, I've changed since. So now, me, ah, I'm a correct daddy. Ask them. You must testify positively. <laughs> Well, that is good. No, that guy just saw the young man. I don't understand what you're, what are you talking about. Sorry, giving people money is not my problem. Just as sometimes I look, I say, you think the reason why we preachers preach, we get on roads because we have so much money, we don't know what to do with it. What I told that young man, that is that where you're coming from, there are no pineapples, there are no oranges. You hear me free on radio, then you show up with an empty hand. I want to see the man of God. You travel down, you couldn't carry Urumbo. No, it's a rumble. What is it? Orange, thank you. You couldn't even bring orange. No pineapple, no purple. And I said, man of God. No, I'm a man of the devil as far as you are concerned. Because if I was a man of God, you wouldn't be using mouth to tell me like that. You travel down. And I tell you about your financial problems. How did I get there? If you see any man of God doing any program, if you go there to go ask for uh, financial support, God will enjoy you. Let's go there, carry broom. Say, hey, people are doing program. Where can I sweep? Sweep it and go home. But the point I'm making all of these things is this. Let's just get back there. Right, where I began from. Nobody should have the impression that if God calls you, life is going to be easy. Even if God supplies you material things, which is why I talked about all of these things, it's only because he has a purpose for you to fulfill. And listen to me, you are not doing the will of God now. So it can make you rich when you are 50. You are now in your 30s. No. They're not doing the will of... Because he doesn't guarantee... I just want you to understand. He doesn't guarantee it. Many of the men you are seeing, that's why I went into all of that talk. They are just doing their work. I told you that the Pastor Corey, somebody went and sat him down. Was it here I told you the gist? That you should... Please, whether I can give him, is it 10 million naira? So I probably look at the guy. He looked at himself. <laughs> so he gave the guy a chair. I don't even know. <laughs> he, gave the, he gave the guy a chair. He said, sit down. Sorry, please, oh. I just want to know. <laughs> you know, he, he told me a story. Last time I was in uh, Sokoto, I, I, I had a good laugh. He said, one day, one of his relatives came to Sokoto. He arrived when they were doing this, their program, like when I went for Apostolic Summit. And the way they arranged it, that you, anyway, a lot of people contribute things, so it, they have a lot of ministers. In fact, invited ministers from far. They are not less than seven, eight. Last one, I did a calculation, maybe like nine or so. so. So they have to host a lot of people. So people contribute their cars for moving people around. So the brother was, the, 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 that's, he, that's his brother, that's his relative that came. What he was saying is that, ah, my brother don't hammer. 
you know, he comes out, you see cars in front of the man of God's compound, inside the compound. He didn't say anything, though. No. Just saw cars coming and going, and suddenly the man of God will drive maybe one today, another one tomorrow. He just concluded, say, this bro, don't hammer. So next time I want to ask him for something, maybe, bro, please, do you have like two million? I need to quickly, f- <laughs> I need to quickly settle some problems. <laughs> Not knowing that none of the cars he was seeing belongs to the man. That if only he will come a week after the program, he will know the real situation of things. But God just made resources available for his work. And he just assumed that this man of God don't hammer. I hope I've established that point in our hearts. That listen, God calls you, please don't have this mindset that now I'm small, tomorrow I'll be big, I'll be richer, so let me... Fo- no, that's not the attitude. God can call you, your name is Paul. And then later on in life when you want to brag, the only thing you'll be able to brag about is how much you suffered for Christ. I hope you are getting my point. It doesn't change the fact that God is the one that gave you the assignment in life. You know, in Nigeria right now, of course, and, just, and the rest of the world, of course, I told you the other day I was reading a Pyelton story again. By the story, when we asked him when he was old, where he would like to be buried if he were to die, he told them flat that he's finished with, he said, whether he should, he should carry his body back to England. He said, for what? That I finished with England long ago. That he said, I have nothing there anymore. That all that I have now is Nigeria. Englishman. He came and lived in Nigeria. He wasn't looking for greener pastures. But he has clear visions of heaven. And it's one reason why, you know, there's, there's what they call the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. Now, some are beheaded for Christ, they are killed for Christ, but some of them didn't have to be killed for Christ. They just died for Christ. I hope you're getting my point. And I believe it's one of those matters. Now, why am I talking about that? I used a meditation some time ago, and I realized that one of the reasons why God allowed the saints to die the way they did, there are many reasons. Christians die for different reasons, okay? God, sometimes, he wants to take a saint away. He said, why let this fellow die of uh, meningitis or of a heart attack? Give him to some Islamists, let, him, let them kill. Yeah, he does, he does that. Dying is, is not to die. He said, let me, let me take small glory from his death. That fellow will have died anyway, but will have been from heart attack, meningitis, fall from height, domestic accident, fell inside the kitchen, hit his back, head, or at the, head, uh, the back of the head at the edge of the sink. Those are not nice ways to die. So Jesus said, okay, God's going to preach in one bush. Let them tell you, deny Jesus or be killed. Don't deny me. And then they'll kill the person and say, it's a matter. And God just decided to take glory from the person's death. He does that. If you see those his, um, apostles, those early, the, the 12, they died a lot like that. Some of them, even when they are old, people like Peter, people like Paul. Paul was not amongst the 12, but also an early apostle. But God could have preserved them. He chose not to. He delivered Peter at a particular point in time. Now, one of the reasons why he didn't deliver them ultimately was that he knew that that kind of death was going to glorify him. Because you see, when Jesus told him, you come with me, he said, what about this one? You know, remember he told Peter, when you were young, you went everywhere you went, but when you are old, people will lead you. And I said, by that, he indicated what? The kind of death with which you do what? You glorify God. So death glorifies God. The way you die, it makes a statement. It makes a statement. The way I would die, it would make a statement. 
In fact, how can I pray that prayer before? I say, God, don't let me die any nonsense death. So you just you went to go and visit the woman you're not supposed to go and visit. You now fell from her staircase and now died. Is it good? <laughs> Do you understand my point? It's a very useless death. I've thought about it just say, and then apostle at eleven o'clock. <laughs> you quickly rush your body, throw it on the highway, it's an accident. It's not good at all. I hope you're getting my point. I want to die. You die correctly. Go and meet Boko Haram. Praise the gospel. May they shoot you. Is that no more honorable? Yes. Say, so what happened to our man of God? He went into Sambisa by the anointing of the Spirit. After he was led, after he baptized the 25th Islamist terrorist, the Algar now came and stabbed him with a spear in his heart and he died. You know, we shout, glory, glory. Is that not? Jesus does that. <laughs> this foolish boy. Before he goes to fall from the staircase, where did he send him? It's not good. Send him on a difficult assignment. No, I, I pray that prayer for say, God, if you want to, let's die properly. Properly. Dead that we glorify you. I hope you're getting my point. I don't want to fall sick and just die like that. No, I don't even like that. I, I've told a lot of that. Too. Let's do these things properly. It's not a big deal to be killed for Christ. That's what I just told the Lord. I don't want, I don't want to just die anyhow. Let's okay. What happened? We're preaching in the core center of Pakistan. They after a great revival. And I said, well, now they didn't come back home. Eh, that's a problem. It's not a problem. They write, you know, they will not write books about yourself. Young men, young women will take courage when they read the story of a man who preached for Jesus. And the Islamists killed him in the center of Pakistan. Me, I can die in the center of Nigeria for Jesus Christ. Jesus <laughs> said, <a> good. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> now, just let's leave that. So, one of the reasons why Jesus, the Lord left it like that is he needed to tell people that this is a serious message. That's what I'm going to tell you. I prayed about it and reasoned about it, and I'm telling you the truth. I saw that God needed to tell people that these people are not joking. That just as he gave his life for the world, in the same manner, his immediate apostles, almost all, gave their lives for that same world. Until now, people are literally giving their lives the same way that Jesus gave his. So that's why he does that. Now, why am I saying so? You know, when I, I'm going back to the issue of Pyelton, all right? When I read the story of Pyelton, I realized that indeed, that man, you know, you know, I first talked about matters, that it's not every matter you killed. But when a man leaves a developed country, comes down to, an undeveloped, forget the word developing. You know, when they use the word developing, it's, it's political talk. It's political correctness. Alright? He left a developed nation, came to an undeveloped country, did not even go to a mass major city like Lagos. Those days there was Lagos, there was Port Harcourt, there was Kaduna, there was Kano, there was Joss. These were large cities he could have stayed in. He went to, was it Elisha or Shogbo? Elisha. Because that was where God directed him to go. And then he lived and he died. Pursuing a particular vision. I give you an instruction by the Spirit. Go and read about that vision. Yeah, you should go and read about that vision. The man wasn't joking. That's why, listen. Thank God for the rest of the world. But recently I bought, I I ate that spirit again. That that vision that man died for, we have to carry it on. It has not been fulfilled yet. But I asked myself. If this man could live and die 
in a foreign country. He wasn't looking for greener pastures. If you look at his life, it's not the way we, many of us live these days. So if he died like that, that's why I refer to the fact that they asked him, how you want to be buried? Where will you want to be buried? He said, don't take me back to England that I've finished with that country. It's native country. He didn't have anything there. He used to travel once in a while on holiday to go and visit, and he would live in friends' homes. He actually gave the instruction that there was to be no ceremony when he would die. That they are to bury him. If he dies in the morning, bury him like a Muslim that day. And then next day, everybody should go back to work. That the work is great. So organizing a massive funeral to him was a waste of time. And really, that was what happened. When he died, they started contacting people. They sent a message to his daughter. She was at Lauren. I saw a short clip of her as an old woman. You know, speaking different languages. Spoke about three or four Nigerian languages. Her pigeon was smooth. She said, if you speak and pass yourself. Everybody burst into laughter when she was you know, talking and interviewing her. Then she came all the way back to come and see the day her father had died. And as soon as she came, they buried him. And next day, everybody went back. Now, I'm trying to say something here. So, I've read about it. I'm still reading about it. That that vision that made a man live as a matter. You know, I've described that kind of matter, matterhood now. You know, that's my point. Okay, not the normal one that they killed somebody. Look at the way he left and came and died here. I said, no, that vision is worth pursuing. That's why I refer to the fact that God allowed the saints of old to die just to make a point concerning the message of Christ Jesus. For that reason, let's throw away comfort as part of our negotiations in following the Lord. Let's drop it. It's not allowed. That's nonsense. It's not allowed. I say all of this and emphasize the fact that there's this unconscious thing in our hearts which we preachers have preached to the church that if you serve God, it will give you a car. That if you follow the will of God for your life, a private jet is in front. And I try to explain that don't even focus on even if it's in front. It's not because it's not a flanging thing. Not so we can just relax and be enjoying ourselves. It's just simply because if the work requires it, he will provide it. For that reason, it's not something to wish for or pray for until the work requires it. The times that idea, of course, it crossed my mind. I'm not trying to joke like, you know. What, what was the reason? You go to an airport, you're supposed to go and preach for just two, three days. The length of time I spent at an airport, I said, I told you one that happened to us when we were going to just last time. My wife and I, not even like, I've been to just once since, but then my wife and I were going. Interesting experience. After waiting at the airport for five hours, the plane still left us behind. Five hours we were at the airport. Waiting. Finally, I said, let me go and stretch my leg. I told my wife, come, let's take a walk. We took a walk, we got delayed, came back. Half an hour, they said, which play? They want to just, they don't go now. I said, how could it have gone? It is not possible for it to have gone. It cannot go. They showed me that the plane, see them, they don't come on the door. That they've locked the doors, they're about to take off. I said, call the pilot. They said, we can't do that. Ah, let's make a long story short. I said, Lord, what is going on here? One angel said, they can't go yet. Told the pilot to stop. I'm summarizing the whole thing. I'm not joking. One angel made them stop. The pilot told them to bring the, what do you call that? That step. Doesn't have a special name more than step. Okay, they, that's, that's motorized. The one that motor will drive there. Uh-huh. They put it back. Everybody came down. They said they should, should go back to the departure hall. They now came down and met my wife and I. Ten minutes later, they said everybody go back again. Go and enter the next place. That's how God delivered me that day. Sometimes, like last time I was coming from Sokoto, you had to stay an extra day just because the flight bringing us to Enugu. They just sent a message that your, your flight has been cancelled. We had to start rebooking for the next day. So when you have to do a lot of those things, <laughs> and people like my friend, 
that travels much more than me, he experiences these kind of things much more than me. That particular one I was telling you, Pastor was coming, he bought tickets three times. He came to the airport with the first one. That's in Abuja to Portacot. Delay. Quickly, he tried to get another one. He had finished paying for that one. When he discovered there's another one that was leaving earlier. He went, I'm telling you, three t- tickets. Just buy a keep. No time to even process refund. <laughs> buy a keep, buy a keep. Finally, got into the hall to preach by 7 p.m. Bros, if I had money, I would buy a plane. Now, I'm just emphasizing that. So that's why I said what I said. But please, let's stop looking at those things as in one day if I walk with God, I will get there as a matter of what I'm not enjoying. It's not enjoyment. And I'm emphasizing to us that let's not define the will of God for our lives. But if I follow it, I will have a big car, big cars, houses. I can take holiday abroad. You know what we see these days? Now, let me just say this again. I, I, I had to say it on radio one time. When you, they say you're a pastor, you know, these days, you know, when they say pastor, like, my God, man of God. Or I'm going to draw something for your boys. Yeah, because you're supposed to have money. So I had to say everyone already, I said, don't be deceived. 95% of pastors don't have. Newspaper, see, newspapers are satanic. When Pastor Chris Okoti bought himself a, was it a Rose Royce or Bentley? For his 60th birthday. It was a Rose Royce, right? Yeah, it was a Rose Royce. Now, Rose Royces are not cheap cars. Are you getting my point? If you get a cheap one, maybe like 200,000 pounds. All right? I just want to just give you a small figure. They most typically are more, more than that. Of course, that was in the newspapers. You know, I got a bomb post on it. A bomb was photographed. So it was in newspapers, Facebook, everywhere. Then you began to abuse him, these pastors. And I said, what do you mean by these pastors? What about the one that couldn't pay his children's school fees? We didn't put down in the newspaper for us to see. And tell them these pastors helped them. You saw one pastor who bought a Bentley, which is not, uh, sorry, Rose Royce, which is not a sin. It's not. It's his money. Is it your money? Do you know how he got his money? Do you know where he's driving his Rose Royce to? In case God is laying on your heart to buy me a Rose Royce, please don't bother. I don't want a Rose Royce. Just go buy three Land Cruisers. I will collect those ones. You know why? If I drive my Land Cruiser in Enugu, nobody will notice. But if I drive Rose Royce past, one of our brothers was wedding. I went for his wedding. He said, I should please officiate his wedding. So I went. I told one of our friends that would be coming. The man sent a Rose Royce to pick me from the airport. So when I got to the wedding venue, <laughs> somebody said, Kai, these pastors. They didn't know the donkey was not my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. I went with my wife. No, they came with policemen, everything. No, what is, we had an escort. And they got black rose. They opened the door that I should get in, and I entered. First took us for breakfast. After that, we drove to the venue. And when we came in, all eyes turned like gang gang. They said, who is that? I said, the officiating minister. <laughs> Nobody told them that. Naboro in It was not my own. I mean, it was not my own. As soon as I finished that day, I came back, entered my care Ultima at Nugo Airport. <laughs> I went back to my house. <laughs> the Lord is good. Now, you see, they, 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 they put things like that, like that kind of thing. Like if you mix it on Instagram, they will not add my picture to it. Nigerian pastors that drive Rolls Royces, not knowing that. I don't even know the registration number of that Rolls Royce. It's not my own. Most pastors don't have Rolls Royces. Let's get it clear. They don't even have Toyota Corolla. Most. Most people are serving God with all their heart. They are not materially rich. 
and God is not angry with them, and they are fulfilling the will of God. Please, I'm going to emphasize something here. Let's remove this idea that I serve God so that he can give me a Bentley. That's not what we are doing. We are serving God because we are supposed to serve him. We are serving God because we belong to him. We are serving God because he wrote his plan for our lives before we were born. We are serving God because we have no other option. He died for all so that they who live, that's that portion we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just go down there in verse 15. Remember we stopped where? Verse 10. Let's just continue reading verse 11. Where I'm going is 15. So therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in what's going on in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Please bear that in mind. How are we living? We are living for him who died and rose again on our behalf. I want to remind every Christian that there is what is called the will of God for your life. The word the will of God has many definitions. The will of God is just what God has planned. The will of God is the word he gave concerning a situation. But let's talk about our lives as the plan that God has. There is a specific will. You don't make your plans for him. You discover the plans he made for you. Please, let me just summarize that because that's what we're talking about again. You don't make your plans and give to God. You discover the plans he has made for you. There are different ways by which you will discover it, but just know something, that your life is not a game of chance. Somebody owns you. He prepared, he prepared your life ahead, and your primary desire should be to fit into the plan, the eternal purpose for your life that he decided. That's what Christianity is. It's been a tragedy that we presented faith by the way we get things that we want. No, faith is not the way by which we get things that we want. Faith is the way by which we fit ourselves into the plan that he made. The plan of God speaks concerning what you will do with your life. The plan of God speaks concerning where you will do it. The plan of God speaks concerning when you will do it. None of this is arbitrary. None of this is arbitrary. I give myself as an example once in a while. I came to Enugu. When people used to ask me those days, how did you get to Enugu? Are you transferred? I said, no, I don't work for people who transfer people. How did you get to Enugu? I tell three different stories. Not all of them correct, but depending on the kind of understanding that you have. The deepest one I tell, which is the most accurate one, why did you come to Enugu? I said, the Lord led me here so that from here I will come and teach his word. That's it. That he prepared that I will teach from Enugu. How did I know? Well, that's not a topic for discussion now. But then, there are different things that happened that made me know. One of them was that he opened, I just, that thing dropped in my heart long before now. And I started praying this prayer shortly after I left school, while I was still doing my, during NYSC. Because NYSC, I left it for the Lord, took me wherever he wanted, but 
After NYC, I needed to be making decisions. When I was in school, of course, you had no choice. You have to finish school, go and do your internship, and after that, NYC would take you somewhere. So there was not a big deal. I just allowed that to roll. But during NYC, I began to pray. Now, there were two things usually at each time. Lord, do I do, there's no three, just the way I understood. One or two, the Lord would say, indicate one way or the other that this is what I wanted to do. I was led to go to Lagos in a very interesting way. I won't talk about it after my NYC. I never wanted, I didn't like Lagos as a place, but God arranged for me to go there, and I stayed there. It was supposed to be a short stay, but I ended up extending. Before I left school, I knew I was going to preach. I knew preaching the gospel was what was the primary thing I was going to do. So, but when I was serving during NYC, I had a dream one particular night, and the, the, what the dream indicated, and I didn't know the interpretation. And just by the way, the Lord does something. There's a way visions work. You know, sometimes I fed people give a lot of visions about Nigeria. Have you seen them? You, you send a lot. Who will be, the, who will be, not vice chancellor, what do they call the, the president? Who will win primary? Who will not win primary? I've noticed that they've just been, in fact, two pastors have said two different things. Pastor Bakari said the Lord said he will be the 16th president. Do you remember that? And Pastor Chris Okuti said everybody should step down, let him come and be the president. He'll be the interim president. That please everybody should just hold on. <laughs> Didn't you hear that? Yes. So everybody heard it for the first time. Did you hear it? You did? Good. That's Pastor Chris Okuti. Now, there's something about visions, all right? They're usually very difficult to interpret before they happen. They're usually very difficult. I'm not saying they are never easy, but they usually are very difficult. Many times that prophets relate their visions, they make a mistake. They interpret before they tell you. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, many times they interpret the vision before they narrate it to you, and that's where they go wrong. The vision oftentimes is correct. There are few prophets, very, very few, that will say something clearly. And it will happen exactly the way they said it. There are very, very few. I know what I found out. This has been my observation. In almost all of them, you will not see it in popular media. I don't know whether you're getting my point. For example, now, um, Sadhu Selvaraj told America, but in a small congregation hardly bigger than this, in Lancaster, California, that Donald Trump was going to be their next president when Donald Trump was very doing very bad in the polls. He said, the guy's going to be your next president. That the Lord told me that. Do you know, I never heard it from anybody until Donald Trump had been elected into office. Then I now saw the video. Very few people saw it. Once I hear specific predictions and stuff in the newspapers, social media, I usually write it off. I just write it off. I want to call the prophet and say, please, what exactly did the Lord reveal to you? Because what happens most, of t- most times is that they interpret before they narrate. And my experience has been when it catches fire like that, usually, it's, I don't know, it hardly comes to pass like that. The ones I have seen come to pass accurately usually are not heard of until they have happened. Now, that's just an aside for those who may want to understand some things about vision. So, I had this dream that time, which I really couldn't interpret, but it played out by my stay in Lagos. At the end of the day, what, does it, what did it play out? I was already ministering when I was in university. Kingdom World Ministry started 2001, was when we began. It was only tracks I was writing, okay? But I was ministering by the time I left university in 1991. More than 10 years, I was in Okay, let's say 1992, I worked in the church where I was in Adoikiti. But after I left that church in 92, I didn't do any significant form of ministry until I got to Enugu. 
Nine years later. Now that nine years is a long time. Nine is a long time. That even got some people worried what has happened to me. But why I, I never worried was simply because the dream was playing out. I did not know the interpretation on, as, until that nine years were just playing on bit by bit. And I realized that this is exactly what I dreamt about. And the whole thing ended by my coming to Enugu. So people have tried to understand what, what brought me here. People said, oh, your wife, Ibo. Well, <laughs> you know, she is, according to some people. Some people just say, eh, where is he from? All of them are the same thing. <laughs> That's what they will tell you. Well, not no, my wife is not Igbo. She's from Delta State. I brought her to Enugu. When you transferred here, they want to just do something natural. Because they can't say, if I move from Enugu to Lagos, they say, ah, opportunity. That's what I was looking for. I didn't come to Enugu looking for opportunity. But I tell people that, listen, God, the Lord ordained. He planned that I should move over to this place. And time has proven that what I'm saying is correct. I'm not emphasized towards that. Do you know what? Even the companies you work in, don't think. Pray. It's not just a game of chance that you step into a particular place. They are di- those things are divinely ordained. God works the details of our lives. He leaves nothing to chance. He works out the details of our lives. I don't need to tell you that he picks your husband, he picks your wife. You meet the person two different ways. But ultimately, it's his choice. It's not your choice. Your life is easier if you start learning the mind of God early, even before when you need to make some important decisions. Because many people are having problems making decisions because their values are not divine values. And until divine values become your values, in, in trying to come into the will of God in choice making, you have a lot of conflicts. And God won't back down for you. Because who's the master? And that's what people don't understand. You know, it's very important to the Lord that you understand who's the boss. Listen, you can't just wake up and tell God, I'm moving from this place, I'm moving to another place, you should bless it. No. He will be looking at you like this. And can I say something quickly? There is what the Bible calls the offense of Adam. Have you heard that in before? Romans chapter 5. I'll read from verse 12. Romans chapter 5. It said, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, we're not talking about that. I'm just trying to read in context. So it was not going to explain something, verse 13. It said, for unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, 14 now, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. I just read this in context for you to just... Um, Get, to get the context, but I will not extract exactly what I want, which is from verse 14, that it said that um, people sinned even before the law was given. That's 13. I'm just moving to a simpler translation. Sometimes Paul can be difficult to understand unless you use a very simpler translation in the epistles. He said, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Please, get something here. New Living Translation was trying to explain it. But the literal thing is what, is what New Americans gave there. He said, those who did not sin in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Now, let me explain the meaning of the offense of Adam for a moment. Just like New Living Translation says, Adam disobeyed an explicit commandment. But I will explain it further. To whom much is given, 
As you grow as a believer, there's a way you will make a choice and God will not obstruct you. As a young Christian, and a wrong choice, I wanted to say, and it won't obstruct you. As a young believer, when you do have some understanding, God takes upon himself to block your way when you are doing what is wrong. But if that thing you are doing that is wrong is something in, in an area that he has given you clear understanding, he doesn't obstruct your way. Let me explain. I want to start just so we can get money to pay for radio. Let me tell you what will happen. I will find a hall easily. The name of the church will be revealed to me by an angel, an angel of light, which is disguise. And the angel will come and say, Banky, you will call the church the church of the, the resurrected Christ of abundance. In case your church, that's your name. It's, I just said that. I, I wasn't thinking of you. Just came ahead. You shall call it the church of the resurrected Christ of abundance. Say, where will your, what, say, Lord, where will our headquarters be? Then I will pray and pray. Then I will say that you are going to have four headquarters. It's going to be, you know, there's three in one. This is four in one. All headquarters will be centrally controlled from wherever you are on your laptop. You shall be the presiding overseeing bishop. So one headquarter will be in Abuja, one shall be in Lagos, one shall be in Enugu, and the last one will be in Port Harcourt. Amen. Speak thy servant listeners. Do you want more headquarters, my son? Yes. Put one in Los Angeles and put the other one in Australia, Melbourne. Okay? God won't stop it. Do you know what happened? Money will come to fly to Melbourne. You go to Lagos, door will open. Somebody will donate a flat for you to start. Do you know why? I'll tell you the reason. Because God says, Banky, after all these years of teaching you from scripture and you instructing people that you cannot start a church because you are looking for money, if you still decide to do it, I will let you do it and you will do it very well. And like an egg, we say, I will post your date of death very soon. I will say, give him 10 more years of foolishness. After that, remove him. Now, that's what, when you're talking about following the will of God, we have to be very careful. There are things that apply to some people, doesn't apply to some, other, or, or some others. Why? Because God said, no, our discussion is not whether that church should have four headquarters or not. Our discussion ended. When you deliberately, I get, I get scared. You know, before I used to think that if I'm doing what is wrong, God will just stop me. God said, that's when I have not taught you what is right. So this is, I realize people are held accountable for their actions. God will see you do what is wrong. And he will let you do it. Why? I have taught you enough. That shouldn't have been a matter of discussion. You know, when I was a single man, eh, I didn't have any doubt in my heart that if I want to marry the wrong woman, God will stop it. But after being a married man, I am so sure any woman I want to chase, God will not obstruct it. Why should he? So I go and meet a woman. Say, the Lord has been speaking to me that you and I should have something going on. God will say, yes, bank, I can arrange things for you. And I'll not be bragging. And pastors do it all, a lot of times. A lot of Christians, they come. My spirit just said this to me. I just knew that you see, when you want to move from one level, when, it, when God wanted to move from the wilderness and he was about to move, move into the promised land, he dropped Moses and picked Joshua. The woman that brought you to the edge of the promised land is not the one that will take you into the promised land. 
God will not argue with you. You will divorce that one woman. God will not say anything. He will will come for the wedding. Mind the next one. He will say, I will kill you far. I must kill you. I won't say anything. But I must kill you, Sha. And I will kill you in a very horrible way. You will fall from a height and hit your head at the edge of gutter. When you are wearing only boxers. (laughs) Why? Because I gave you a wife. I told you, your eye must not lost after another woman. It's clear. What are we here discussing? That did God speak to me? Whether I should talk to her? Yes, I spoke to you because I saw the stubbornness of your heart. That's why I pray for people sometimes. It's a special prayer. Please, when you're disobeying God, may you not succeed. Because people succeed in it. It's special intercession to tell people. To tell God, please, don't let him succeed now. Go and read what John said. He said, there is a sin unto death. I do not say you should pray concerning that. That God should give life to the man who's walking in that sin. What is a sin unto death? The man who knows what is right to do. And yet does the opposite. It's called the sin unto death. The sin that is not unto death is the one you do in ignorance. God will have mercy because you do not know what you are doing. So Abimelech took the, the wife of Abraham. And God came to him at night and said, you're a dead man. He said, well, how come I'm a dead man? He said, you took a prophet's wife. He said, She's married, but I asked him, he said, it's my sister. He said, Lord, you know, I will never do such a thing. God said, that's why I have come to correct you. It's called a sin that is not unto death because you did it in ignorance. Paul said, therefore, I had mercy. I used to say, but if I do what is wrong, God will stop me. God said, that is in when you don't know what you are doing. If I've given you clear-cut instruction." Young men, young women, listen. A young woman, if, you, if an unbeliever asks you to marry him, and you go and pray about it, God will tell you yes. You will not come to church and say, look, before I marry this, my husband, I know what I went through. I prayed. The Lord spoke to me specifically about it. Nonsense! Because you disobey the one I wrote for everybody. Anything I say after that is a, is a lie. Don't quote it. Once you cross that point of disobedience to that which is clear. God said, no, my duty is over. My duty is over. Please, people of God, let me tell you, if you know the truth, kill yourself to obey it. What if it is hard? Get on your knees and stay on the knees until it becomes easy. But never disobey the truth that you know. Because God backs off. The first time he talks, it's with punishment. Why do you think? David, you just come and tell God, sorry, God said, sorry about what? <laughs> you don't get it. I will say sorry, but I must flog. Say, Lord, how many strokes? 39 lashes on your back. Three times. Say, God, I beg now. Say, okay. I've heard your pleading, your intercession. So we shall make it 37. Three times. Ah, Lord, you hardly removed anything. After some time, he said, I've dropped it to 35 two times. That's the best I can do. I'm sorry. He says, it's for your good. He says, it's for your good. Like today when we're talking about um, the, doing the business by the Spirit, there was one question nobody was asking. Just before that, I just said something to my wife. So I think it was, a, I don't know, whether it's you or the tall reverend and I said something. So I look at, oh, this is what you just said now. We said, look, there are people you discipline for their good. 
Because you know the truth about human nature. If somebody consistently gets away with something, they will never stop it. After a while, God will apply punishment. Say, I will flog you hard, but your, my loving kindness I will not remove from you. But I won't take this nonsense. So when David slept with Bathsheba, because I'm going, to, I'm going to flog this boy. What he did is wrong. But if something has been in his heart for a long time, we'll just flog him, then we'll correct him. Then Bathsheba came and said, good morning, sir. What is it? I'm suspecting that I might just be pregnant. David said, stop that nonsense. Let's make a long story short. It was true. So David said, let's pin it on your husband. God said, double the punishment. No, God was already arranging the punishment. He said, double it. Then it failed. David said, kill him. God said, this one cannot be atoned for by offering or by sacrifice. David came. Told Nathan, I'm sorry. He laid down. He said, I've forgiven you. Nevertheless, let me tell you what I'm going to do. David took his punishment gently, with humility, and died early for it. That's my understanding. This is I have learned. Please don't play with God. Don't just use a budget to disobey Him. Say, We'll go say sorry. And God said, I will say, I tell you, I've heard, and I will flog you. No, there's this mercy and grace nonsense we preach as if God never does that. So a lot of people don't take him seriously. I want this generation to know that he has picked up his cane again. He has picked up his cane again. Hear the word of the Lord. There's what is called the sin unto death. It doesn't mean God always kills for it. That's what I want you to understand. It means he always punishes for it. What is a sin unto death? A sin in which you know the truth and you both face do the opposite. One in which you have been corrected and then you rejected correction. Same thing. Let's bear it in mind. We live for Jesus. He's our master. He's our savior. And he demands control of every aspect of our lives. How did I get into that now? I was trying to explain something. Huh? Yeah, I know. I'm wondering why I went to the sin of Adam. So that's what the sin of Adam is. And that's, that's why people have asked before, why couldn't Adam have just said sorry? Sorry was not acceptable. Eve could have said sorry. But Adam could not have said sorry because they said Eve was deceived and fell into transgression, but Adam was not deceived. Now, I'm just want, I'm trying to remember why I went into the issue of the sin of Adam. Anyway, let's just continue teaching. Now, the point I'm making, where I began from is that, listen, God has, a, he has made his decision concerning every detail of your life. Your job as a believer is to try and identify it. He has made his decision. It's not every business he wants. Whether he should be doing business or not is his decision. If he says do, it's not every business. The one he should do, the one he should not do is his decision. You must understand he has a number of things on his side that you don't have. One, he has infinitely more knowledge than you have. Yes, he has infinitely more knowledge than you have. And he has, because of that, planned much more that you can ever think about. You think God will discover one day, say, my son has graduated now. He studied engineering. Oh, that's so nice. No. Before you start going to school, he decides whether you'll be an engineer or not. I hope you're getting my point. Is that detailed? What looks general to everybody is actually not general in your life. It's God's specific instruction concerning your training. 
I began by trying to emphasize, listen, let's not think that anytime God calls you, life is going to be easy. And you know, I started this issue because that's what happened at the point in time. People said, hey, what you're looking for, bro, we have it in Nigeria too. It's irrelevant. Bayeltsin knew what Nigeria had was not like what he had at home. But he moved. Abraham, when he moved and followed God, it was not because the wilderness is as sweet as oh, where it was coming from. It was because God had a particular plan for a particular season. And sometimes that plan means leaving a duplex and going to live in a hut. It's not because when you now leave this hut, now, hey, the kind of house that God will give you at the end is when you get to heaven. On this earth, you can live in that hut, die in that hut, and you'll bury in the city room of the hut. It does not mean the hut will now become a national tourist attraction. Sometimes that hut, some people will come, level it, they'll forget your burial site. And they'll say, there used to be a young man in this secondary school. He went to this university and one day disappeared to go and do mission somewhere. We never saw him again. God does not owe to tell a big story with your life. It's not compulsory. Do you know why? Because there's a time to tell the story later. At the judgment seat of Christ. We are laboring so that we can stand at that judgment seat. One of the things I've prayed about before, and it scares me once in a while when I think about it, I don't want to stand, because, see, everybody, let me just tell you something. Each individual, apart from those who are standing, okay, Nduka, I don't even want standing. Every, and me, two of us, okay, everybody else. See the way you are seated like this? That's how, I like the way you did your, see the way you are seated with your beer, beer like that, your tie standing like that. He has always well dressed. You can't catch, do you dress when you want bath, sir? Because when this guy, they dress, <laughs> let's say they bath to, they dress to bath, sir. You're always looking sharp, my God. Hey, man of God. No, do the way we were sitting before, leaning forward like this. <laughs> Good. Please look at his face. One day, this is how you will stand. Jesus, now Jesus will look you. Look at his eyes. Can you see? The, difference, the eyes of Jesus doesn't look like this exactly. The eyes of Jesus it has two colors, red and blue. It shifts between red and blue. When it's shifting to red, you are dead meat. When it's angry, eh, that red shoots out of the eyes. And when you are standing in front of Jesus like this, eh, the eyes passing through you. In fact, you'll be looking like, sir, what are you looking at behind me? He's not, he's looking through you. He can see everything clearly. You can't even lie to him. She can even lie now. You see, maybe you'll get away with the lie. It, you don't need to be righteous not to be able to lie to him. There's no lying in his presence. How do you lie when he's reading you? Please get what I'm going to say. See the way he's looking at me? One day, See the way you're rocking? Gently. Continue, please. Gently, <laughs> gently, gently. No, it's important. Please listen. Just uh, gently. The way he's looking like, uh-huh. Banky, say, continue. You know, what he's, you know what he just asked me? On the 20... What's today's date? Okay, let's just use another date. On the 27th of August, 2020, that thing you said, why did you say it? And instantly you remember the message. And the way he's looking at you like this, he's not blinking, he's looking at you. There are some angels on the left and on the right, writing down. In fact, they've opened a book on what you are supposed to say. There are two things you could have done wrong. Only one thing you could have done right. The only one you could have done right is to say exactly what he wrote that you should say. There are two things you could have done wrong. One, you say the one he did not say. And you say... Why? And I like, sir, sir, 
you know, that day, the money was not enough. And you know that next day they were going to close the building. So I was just feeling like, uh, where's Paris? It's our Paris is a test story at home. We had done something with <laughs> So, so, so that day, that day, and I said, maybe if I just say two things, like maybe, maybe, okay, Monty will give extra money. And, Yenka did, you know, and I know Yenka just collected some money, some tax work he was doing. They just paid. They didn't pay tight on that money. So I wanted to be sure that I can collect it. So you lied in my name. Now, this is the one that scares me the most. Listen to this. But I told you, yeah, that three, those three words, but I, four words, but I told you, I prayed to him, may I never hear it. But I told you, if you will wait, I will supply all your needs. That's what he wants to say. Listen, every single person, for all your actions, you will stand like this and explain one day. Then I said, there are two things you could have done. Wrong. One, you say the one he did not say. The second one, the one he said you say, you do not say it. It's also a sin. So he says, why? He said, that day, one senator came to church. And I know that man is a, he's an adulterer. If I preach against adultery, he won't come again. But I told you to say it. You know, the man died shortly after I left your church. That was his last chance at repentance. You were the last person I trusted to talk to him. But you were thinking of the offering he would give. I don't know about you, but the thought of what I just described to you like this scares me once in a while. Sometimes I want to just wear my, I want to wear black gaga. I'll be preaching like a blind man. So I won't see who's angry and who's happy. So somebody won't be thinking that maybe you're talking about me. Please, if I'm talking about you, if you like get angry, I'm more afraid of him than I am of you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Uh, there's somebody I'm afraid of. Because one day, everybody think about it, one day you will stand in his presence like this. All the decisions you took because of unbelief, you will explain. Sometimes as people make decisions, I said, do you realize one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And you'll give account for the churches you opened that he didn't send you. One day, one brother went and met somebody in the church. He said, my sister, please pray for me. Then, sorry, that's one brother, one pastor. So the big sister said, pray for you for what? He said, I don't know the one that I will do now, and God will just finish me. He said, because right now, I'm not obeying God anymore. I'm obeying our bishop. Yeah, he was honest about it. Now, sincerity does not excuse you when you know the truth. Please, sincerely obey the truth. What happened was that he said, I heard from heaven. God said, this is a message I must preach on Sunday. He's, you know this kind of thing that you studied and prayed? The Holy Spirit even came to you. Discuss with you. Say, this is how we start. Say, Holy Spirit, go on. Then you quote the scripture. Amen. Then he got a letter, signal from headquarters. You have to remit two million naira by the end of service. He looked at the word of God. He looked at the letter. So Jesus, you know you will understand that, but this our bishop won't understand. So please don't be angry. So he started preaching. There is a special miracle awaiting somebody today. Who will give 500,000? Who will give 200? At the end of the day, he collected his 2 million and remitted to headquarters. If you are like that, I want you to hear the word of God. He doesn't understand. He will judge you for it. And listen, you can't do that too many times. For some people, he has counted. You have done it seven times. I gave you only eight opportunities for repentance. If you do it one more time, one more time, you will hate yourself. Please don't be doing evil thinking that you will repent. You know why? The number of times you can do it is counting. 
You don't know the one you will do. And Jesus will say, ah, that was the ox that <laughs> broke the camel's back. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Say, oh, people think God always hears, he always hears sorry. No, I'm sorry. I don't intend to scare you, but I should scare you. You should fear God. He does not always hear sorry. He hears sorry before you exhaust your number of chances. Because there are times he says, look, I've given a commandment that I will hear sorry ten times. But on this fifth one, you annoyed me so much, I will remove the ability to say sorry from you. So that that tenth one, you will cross it. How do I know? Go and read Isaiah. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am. Send me. Go and tell these people. Hear and don't understand. See and don't perceive. Go and deaden their hearts. He says so that they will not mistakenly hear, understand, repent, and allow to forgive them. What I'm going to say, please don't joke with God. If you feel like this is where I'm supposed to be, don't let anybody use Bitcoin to attract you to go somewhere else. Look at the money. The uh, David Paulson said, the cure for fear is a greater fear. Fear that day of judgment. Do that for me again. Lean forward. Be looking at me like you want to kill somebody. Yes. Just fear those eyes. At that time, the eyes will be red. It will come blue when you first arrive. After I ask you 10 questions, I will turn red. Once you see the thing is full red, you just know you are gone. This gospel of grace that makes you, makes you, gives the impression that Jesus never does that. They are lying to you. Satan is trying to keep you, you keeping your disobedience so it can be eternally destroyed. Look, even if it's common sense alone, it's not wise for you to follow it because you gain, you lose nothing fearing God and obeying Him. Any gospel that makes you comfortable in disobedience is a lying gospel. Any gospel that makes you comfortable in disobedience is a lying gospel. You shouldn't be, the truth of God does not allow you to settle in disobedience. Even those who are not disobeying actively, the truth does not even let them settle. It keeps on putting them under pressure to move up to the next level. Not them ever since I heard that gospel, you know, and I just, and you are still in sin. And you are still insane. No, any gospel that you hear that's so full of truth, that's so heavy like you are claiming it is, it should make you purer than before. What I expect to hear from you is that before, anytime I see where they are selling cigarettes like this and beer, you know, I'm attracted. Now, then I don't even notice. In fact, the smell of beer just turns me off. When people are, just, when people are talking about the Lord in a bad way, I can't even sit there anymore. Ever since the grace of God entered into me. The things I used to do, I can't even... This temptation, I don't consider it a temptation anymore. No, it's not longer a temptation. Why? It's now repulsive. That's what grace does. So those acts of iniquity now, they are so repulsive to me. They are so repulsive. Oh, God. Grace, grace, hallelujah. Grace is working in my life. I can't lie to anybody anymore. They give me money I can't for it 100%. Priests and not be telling the truth because I want to raise money. I'd rather leave that congregation. Oh, that's what grace has done in my life. Not the one one man said that, you know, the grace of God. God knows that even though we are pastors, we are not holy. His grace covers it. And this guy will be chasing every woman he can find in church. And he's a pastor of the church. See, you should know you are going to hell. You, know, you don't even need me to preach it to you. you. Just wake up in the morning and say, hellfire is my portion. Hellfire, hellfire. You should be singing it for yourself. Because if God doesn't send you to hellfire, he's unjust. How can you despise him thus? 
It gives you grace. The only thing you can do with that grace is to continue iniquity and expect the grace to cover it. Don't be stupid. Let me know my message here. What have I introduced today? Listen. The one that owns us has made his, up his mind before we were born. What we would do for him. Where we would do it. When we would do it. Or I should add the fourth one. And how we would do it. And on how we attack these four questions, we stand before him one day and explain what we did. And please, don't come with excuses. Once you know the truth, you must obey it. You will pray until you obey it. You won't pray until you are forgiven. You will pray until what? You obey. Let's bow down our heads. Let's just thank God for the whole day. We've been here since morning. Let's thank God for the whole day. The Lord is good. If you are blessed today, let's say a loud amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the beautiful day that you have given us. And as we depart from here, Lord, we do not depart from your presence. But Lord, I declare your blessing upon your people. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord will make his face shine upon you. And he will be gracious unto you. He will lift up his countenance upon you. And he will give you peace. I say his countenance is lifted upon you. And peace is your portion. In the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's share the grace in fellowship. There's a way we share it together in Kingdom World Ministries. For those who don't know it by heart, open that magazine that you were given earlier. And you see the way we share the grace when we are closing. All right, are you ready? Now share it powerfully, all right? In fact, prophesy to somebody. One, two, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of the demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now bless that person. Say, this is your season. Two more people. This is your season. The demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God. One last person. This is your season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. What about you? This is my season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, cherub brethren. God bless you. Have a beautiful Sunday tomorrow.